Andy's funny. Time for the show. We live in a divided world, divided religiously, politically, and economically. Oftentimes in our world, we want to run away from tough conversations that divide us about grief, pain, and loss. We want to avoid topics like shame, guilt, and pride. We'd rather escape to our phones instead of engaging in real conversations. I know this because I do this. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. So let's talk to each other. Yet more importantly, let's listen to each other. Let's continue the conversation. My name is Andy, and I have Winter Faith. Let's get into it. I am so excited about the guest today. My guest today is my good friend, Candice Golf. She is a creative director. She is a musician. She is a artist. She is a follower of Jesus and an ambassador of fun. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, Candice Golf. Let's get into it. All right, I am joined by my good, very good friend, always making me laugh, uh, Candace. How are you doing today, Candace? Hello, I am doing great. Thanks for having me. So one of my favorite things about you is how you describe yourself on Twitter, which is <laughs> follower of Jesus and ambassador of fun. I think, you know, not always do we have perfect descriptions on Twitter, but that's kind of how I see you. <laughs> I see you as a very serious follower of, of Jesus and, you know, went to church together with you, but at the same time, very fun. And I use an example of going to your birthday party and it was outside and we were watching Princess Bride. I don't know how you projected it, but you did. And it was great. So do you remember that party? Yes, that was one of my favorite parties. Um, well, I love the Princess Bride, and I love being outside, and I love movies, and I love my friends, so it was just this mishmash of all my favorite things together. Um, so it was great. That was one of my favorites. But I, I love throwing parties. It's one of my favorite things to do. That's great. And we also had a fun discussion already, and we'll get into this right now, of this idea of winter Christian versus summer Christian. One of the things that, that I value a lot and why I started this podcast and even through our mutual friend, Josh Ross, that wrote a book called Scarred Faith, is I really connected with faith through suffering and how we connect with God through, through pain. But you also um, can help, you know, maybe us see what it's like of a summer Christian, because I've always said on the show, I want to meet a summer Christian and see what they have to say. So that can be you today. So why don't you talk a little bit about that summer Christian versus winter Christian? Okay. Well, when I first saw your question, are you a winter Christian or a summer Christian? Um, I didn't even know what that meant, but immediately I was like, well, I'm a summer Christian, obviously. <laughs> um, even without knowing what you even meant by that. Um, but I could extrapolate meaning from uh, just the words. Um, I think, and I think this is a really good thing that um, when Christians suffer, we want to make meaning out of that. I think that's really valuable. Um, and it's really what we're supposed to do. And um, we try to, what's the word, suffer well. People always say they want to suffer well. Um, and especially like if, if you've had a really um, like traumatic childhood, especially, that makes even more sense because that was so informative in your life that you're going to spend a lot of time dealing with that. Um, and you need to spend a lot of time dealing with that. But I think sometimes as Christians, we can become like obsessed with suffering and mm -hmm. um, we just talk about it so much and we act as if that's the only way that we can grow closer to God. And there are, there are those verses about, you know, um, whenever you go through trials, consider it joy because this is refining your faith. But that doesn't mean that's the only way you can refine your faith. Um, so it's not an exclusive thing. Uh, 
so I just think we can become so laser focused on that to our detriment that we sometimes miss how we can connect with God through things that bring us joy and are fun and make us happy. Um, and I like to think about how, like when I love giving gifts and I like making things, I'm real artsy. And especially if I've made something for someone and they open it and they are so excited to get it, I'm way more excited than they are. Like it brings me so much happiness just to see them light up. I'm like, oh, I made this thing and they love it. It's so great. Mm. And I think about that in relation to God and how he's created this entire universe and we are built to enjoy it. Like we love running barefoot through the grass. Um, I mean, seeing the Grand Canyon, it's awe-inspiring, jumping into a lake. And I just can't imagine what it is like to be him, to see his creation enjoying that so much. That has to give him so much pleasure. And I think that's a way that we really, really connect with him, or we could connect with him if we thought about it, if we were aware of it. Instead yeah. of just, oh, this is just mindless fun that I'm having. That's not mindless. It's really meaningful. I, I love that because, you know, I think about my daughter and think about, you know, my wife, my, my family now and how we have so much fun going outside and mm -hmm. playing. And then all of a sudden as like an adult, it's like, well, we can't play anymore. We can't have fun anymore. We got to be serious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I worked as a hospital chaplain and, and saw a lot of pain and suffering in, in hospitals and, and I'm, that's what I was there for. But also, you know, people would always be like, did that make you depressed? Were you sad all the time? But it actually made me appreciate life more mm -hmm. because I was able to go through some difficult things. Sometimes I knew the people, sometimes I didn't. Um, talking to nurses and doctors, I may or may not know them. I might see people only for one time, but I actually, it was like a very joyful part of my life. Like there were moments that were difficult life more because I was around suffering because I think it made me value each day more. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I remember, you know, we both, uh, both went to Harding and we had the same, some of the same teachers, one of our teachers, Dr. Fortner, um, that guy had so much fun in life. <laughs> My sister has a lot of stories and I have stories of him just doing really funny things in, in class but he also was like a very serious person right? who went through some suffering, but was really, really fun to be around. You know, I went to Huff with him, Harding University in Florence. No, uh, I didn't know that. For, um, two Bible classes, but he and Jan Fortner, um, mm -hmm. his wife, who's also Dr. Fortner. Yes. Um, I mean, that was an absolute blast. They were hysterical all the time. We all loved them so much. We took, uh, we placed, bets on how much they, they just bought books constantly everywhere they went of course um, so they had like hundreds of pounds of books to ship back home so there was like this wager on how much it was going to cost to ship their books back i don't remember what it was but it was hilarious yeah wow that i mean man being being overseas i don't i don't remember seeing the two of them interact together very much like just not that they didn't but like i wasn't there you know, i wasn't in their house or anything so i can't imagine being there with them it was hilarious and it was especially hilarious like the first night we were there you have to fill out some kind of form i'm sure it was because we were living there for you know six months mm -hmm. um but it was hilarious because he dr fortner is probably the smartest person i've ever met and he had to fill out the form like three times because he kept messing up and it was hilarious <laughs> i just thought it was so great so like, there's an irony he's brilliant but he cannot fill out the form <laughs> <laughs> oh man I don't know if I'll, I don't know if he'll listen to this. I'll probably have to edit that out. He, Doc Fortner would always say he is the second smartest doctor in his house. Oh, he would, I'm sure he he would, would always say his wife is far, far smarter. They are both him. brilliant. Yes. Yes. I remember um, <laughs> somebody who's on my show earlier, my friend, Josh, my roommate, Josh, we actually had Dr. Fortner in our apartment for dinner. Oh, that was that was everybody's reaction. What you just did, like what? So we were <laughs> we were we were seniors at Harding. We lived off campus, and we had Dr. Fortner over for for dinner. We made like lasagna oh, okay. and salad or something, and hung out with Dr. Fortner for like three hours. And that conversation, 
it's it's fun hearing Josh and I talk about that night on or you know a couple podcasts back. But um, yeah, incredible, incredible person. Best um, night ever, I bet. It was pretty fun. I I I was thinking like, you know, if I would have done an interview or a podcast or recorded some of our conversations, I I remember some of them from that night. But yeah. that would have been, been perfect. I would cherish that for a long time. Um, you kind of talked about this or at least alluded to this, but what was your, what was your faith like growing up just as a child and, um, family and church experience? Yeah, it was, um, from the outside, it looks like a lot of, uh, kids experiences who've grown up, um, in some sort of Christian church. Um, my parents are very active, um, in church, but also just very much had their own faith. So it wasn't just a going to church thing. Um, it, I, I feel really lucky sometimes because they didn't necessarily, like, we didn't have devos at our home. Like, you know, some, some of my friends did, we didn't do that. They just lived it out so well. We, I feel like we always had someone living with us. Like they weren't official, like foster parents, but like my brother's friends, um, if they didn't have a place to stay, they would just live with us, you know? Um, so they were just always taking people in. I remember being with my mom <clears throat> riding in the car one day and there was a woman on the side of the road who seemed like she needed help. Someone picked her up and took her wherever she needed to go. And I remember thinking, I don't think everybody's moms do that, you know, especially if you're a female with a girl with you. And it was a woman that we picked up, but it was still like not a normal thing. I didn't see a lot of people do that. Um, so I grew up with just a really good example of that. And I was in almost bizarrely curious child. I mean, that has stayed with me my whole life, but I've just always wanted to know as much as I can about everything. So, um, and that included spiritual life and studying the Bible. So I just ate it up. I just wanted to know everything about everything. Um, I wasn't especially, I'm not sure I would say especially challenged things. I just wanted to know everything. So I would, I was pretty accepting of the answers. Um, that I was given, but I still just wanted to eat them up until I became a teenager. And then I became like the debater in every class. I was like, I will debate you on this. Even if I don't agree with what I'm saying myself, I will debate you. <laughs> <laughs> so what was church? Okay. You talk a little bit. What uh, the church, you grew up in a small church, big church. What, what was your church experience? It was small. I grew up in a small town. So the church is probably a hundred ish people, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, so not like teeny tiny, like 20 people, but enough that we had a youth group of, you know, eight kids, eight to 10 kids, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. um, looking back, it was a pretty conservative church. I don't think I knew that at the time, you know, but looking right. back, it was just conservative Southern church. Um, my part of the reason that I don't, didn't realize that as much at the time, other than just not being exposed to anything else, was right. that... Um, my parents, and especially my, my dad especially, doesn't really fit that mold that well. He's just, um, I guess, too much of a challenger and a thinker. Um, so I would always hear him uh, kind of talking about what he didn't necessarily agree with, not like in a negative way, but just, well, I think this, and what about this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he's very scientifically minded. Um, so always had that in the background too happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it was fairly normal. Uh, my teenage years weren't great. I had some bullying happen <laughs> at church from other youth group members. So that was the roughest stretch uh, for, but that was only a year, maybe a year or two. Um, and then I think we got a youth minister and had a big, uh, everyone had a big come to Jesus moment and we, that got better. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was pretty, church was pretty typical Southern Christian church, I would say. Mm-hmm. So then you go, you know, so you're, you're growing up, going through a small church, which I think is, you know, I came from a church of about a hundred people and our youth group was probably like 10 people. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's something really good about that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I didn't grow up at a big church that had, you know, this great worship experience, you know, that I'm used to, I'm used to that now, but that, that was not a, you know, if we had more, if we had like a more vibrant worship, it was like once a year when I went to somebody else's church that wasn't 
uh, in our denomination. <laughs> yeah, to youth in action, it was like the heavens had opened up. What is this? It's amazing. Yeah. And I, growing up in Wisconsin, I didn't go to any of the big events like um, uh, Winterfest or Uplift. I didn't, you know, I'd never been to Harding or Lipscomb, you know, or seen people, you know, in Wisconsin, it was, it was pretty small. Um, even when we had like our church camp, it was probably the size of what some churches are, you know, right. in Dallas or Nashville or whatever. Um, so from your, your church and as you're growing and asking questions, you, it leads you to Harding University. And at Harding, what, what was your major at Harding? Art or? Graphic design. Graphic design. Okay. And what was it that, um, I guess one of the biggest things for me, my faith grew when I went overseas for the first time. Did you have any experience like that? That might've happened before Harding, but just. Right. Well, I had never, um, so I think the first time I ever flew anywhere was when I was in Harding and did like a, a spring break trip to Jamaica, like a mission trip to work. with. Oh, good choice. Yeah. So that was awesome. Um, and then the second time I flew was when I went to Huff, Harding University in Florence in Italy. Um, so those are my first two big experiences of travel for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think it's hard for travel not to be eye opening, um, and to change your faith in some way. I think that's really difficult for it not to do that, honestly. Right. Um, and now that's one of my favorite things to do now is just go to different places and meet different people. It just, I mean, nothing underscores the fact that we are all the same more than that. Now for a quick commercial break. One of the um, questions that I sent, that I sent you was who were the uh, mentors in, in your life and who are the people that really you know, challenged and, and help your faith grow. You know, you've yeah. talked about your parents, we've talked about one of our professors, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm just curious, like, you know, who really taught you how to be a follower of, of Jesus in a serious way? Well, it's funny because when I see the word mentors, I have a very specific thing in mind. And I thought, I don't have any of those. When I thought about how, you know, like big brother, big sister, that kind of mentorship thing, I didn't have someone that I knew at the time was my mentor. I guess is what I mean. But sure. looking back, I'm like, oh, I learned from this person, this person did, did, did this. Um, and sometimes those people, uh, they're people I didn't actually know personally. Like, for instance, um, uh, The Hiding Place by Corrie Boom was a very informative book in my life, especially about my faith. Um, it affected me greatly. I still think about it all the time. I think about things she wrote in that book all the time now. And it's been decades since I've read it last. Um, so I guess I'm expanding the idea of mentors with that, but uh, that's something that's really affected me are artists and authors um, because I've just been such a consumer of music and books my entire well, life. What was that book about? Can you talk? I've never heard of that. Oh yeah. Um, so Corrie Boom lived during World War II um, and she and her sister and her father had just a little uh, watch shop. They repaired watches for people. Um, and of course they saw what was happening um, during that time and started hiding people in just this little space in their house and um, spoiler alert um, they were found um, by the Nazis and were taken uh, to camps and I'm trying to remember I think they all died except for Corey hmm. um, and th this just the, this is just the account it's not a biography of um, what happened and um, then after that I mean she's so remarkable she um, she wanted to try to find a way to heal all those relationships between um, people who had been in camps, who had been, uh, who had just survived, um, between people who had been Nazi soldiers, between people who had been bystanders who didn't do anything. Like she really wanted to breach all of those, like she just wanted to bring all those people back together again. Um, and she thought that could only be done like through Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, which is exceptionally difficult <laughs> work. Uh, and very interesting because she said people who had been um, taken, the hardest people for them to forgive were not the Nazi soldiers, but were just the people in the town who either didn't do anything or informed on them or, you know. Um, it, that was very interesting to me. Uh, 
but like, and she even at one point in time meets like one of the cruelest, uh, when she was in camp, one of the cruelest like workers, she meets them again and like shakes, shakes this person's hand. And it was just, it's really inspiring. Um, but that whole book is just full of these grand lessons on faith that I think about all the time. Wow. And say so the name of the book again. The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place mm-hmm. by? Corey Tin Boom. Corey Tin. Okay, I'm going to check that mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You can actually go visit. Um, and I think it was in Amsterdam. Is that where it was? Um, you can actually go visit her house and see The Hiding Place and all that. Oh, wow. Incredible. And then, of course, I've had uh, teachers who had a big impact on my life. Miss Fagla was my English teacher and drama teacher. And it's not that we had, you know, big grand discussions about faith. I just watched her live her life, you know, and how she treated me and loved me um, as a teenager. That's good. I mean, obviously, you're, you know, your parents... Right. My parents are the big obvious answer. To yeah. That. A huge impact on you. And, yeah. and, you know, me and you both know people that I'm sure don't have great relationship with their parents and, you know, for, you know, for my wife and me and, you know, people out there that do have both parents living that can make an impact on you. You know, when you're in your adult years, you kind of develop a different relationship with your parents that obviously can be so fun and rewarding. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, not everybody has that, you know, and so some, something to always be grateful for. I thought of another group of mentors. Mm-hmm. Kay Gowan, she worked at Harding University when I was there, and I knew her from growing up in Pocahontas, Arkansas. Um, I was a kid when she was an adult there, and we both ended up at Harding University. Me as a student, she is someone who worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she invited me to this, like, Wednesday night study, um, and it was almost all older women, sometimes there'd be one or two other college students there. And that I absolutely loved that. That's my favorite study I've ever been a part of. Not really because of what we studied, especially, but because um, I loved being around those women and learning from them and they were so welcoming. And just so they lived, you know, full lives that I hadn't lived yet. So I had a lot to learn from them. And I remember I had a senior art show because I was a graphic design major. Mm-hmm which is an exorbitant amount of work to put on a art show. You have to fill an entire gallery, all of the original work, and you're like, oh my goodness. So it was so much work. I had invited a ton of people and every single one of those ladies came to it. Wow. I just thought it was like, wow, this is, to me, that was the biggest lesson of that entire study. Cause I had invited, you know, absolute tons of people who didn't come um, who were closer to me than those ladies were, but they all came. So that was just really meaningful. What is, so connect, what does art mean to you as, you know, just as far as faith and, Mm -hmm. you know, following Jesus and through like specifically through your artwork? Right. Oh goodness. That's such a big question. Is it, is that, is that too big? (laughs) No, no, I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Uh, That's another way to me in which, you can create, you can connect so deeply to God that we sometimes miss because to me, I mean, he's the ultimate creator. That's the way in which I can most imitate him really. Um, and feel like I'm a part of something with him. Uh, so I love that whole creation aspect. Um, if you've ever thrown pottery, there's an extra special, um, kind of spiritual meaning there, especially because you can't help but think of verses if you grew up in a church about being the clay and he is the potter. You can't right. help but think about doing that. And it takes on meaning when you're actually doing it. You're like, oh, I know what this means now. I know what this means. <laughs> and I am just personally, I'm just very moved by art. That's something that speaks to me deeply. I know it doesn't always speak to everybody on that same level, mm-hmm. um, but it does to me. That's just how my brain is wired. So mm-hmm. I can see or hear, you know, if it's music or if it's visual art, whatever it is, um, something, even if it wasn't created with an intention to inspire me to anything specific, it can still have that effect on me. Yeah. There are a lot of pieces of music that I have no idea what the person was thinking when they were writing it. The lyrics aren't especially spiritually minded, but they mean that to me. Yeah. Who, who are some, why don't you, are there some artists that mean a lot to you or is it too, that might be too big again. I don't know. 
Oh gosh. Okay. Well, this group actually is more spiritually uh, minded, but need to breathe is a big one for me. Absolutely mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. And, but not all of their songs are about God or about faith or anything. Um, but I just really identify with everything they write. And part of that is because they're from the South. And so I have that connection too. Mm-hmm. So I think that just speaks to me. Oh, they're one of my absolute faves. Probably the song that most has that effect on me, period, is it's Peter Gabriel's redo of, what's the name of that song? It was in Stranger Things, episode three. Oh, wow. Um, heroes. Heroes. That we could be heroes, heroes forever and ever. That song. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, my goodness. I just weep and weep when I hear that song. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, so that song isn't really, I mean, that song has a deep meaning anyway, but it's not necessarily like a, you know, um, worship song in any way. But mm-hmm. it kind of has that effect on me. Yeah. Now for a quick commercial break. I think it was written to be that. Well, and I think that's what's so good. You talk about art, talking about music, just different things connect to us differently. Like, I feel like when we're trying to break down, like, best movie, best music, Mm -hmm. uh, best TV show, it's so subjective. Best comedy, like, it's so subjective. I mean, I watch, like, a lot of really dumb comedies that my my wife's like, I can't. This is, this is good. But, um... And there's always people that, you know, are gonna, you know, there's just, that's why we have so many, that's why it's so good to have so many different categories of everything. Oh yeah. Cause it's going to connect to people. That's one reason I try really hard not to just poo poo all over something um, that I didn't like because I know someone else might really love that and it might've affected them in some grand way and it just didn't me. Yeah. And I just kind of hate, like, I don't mind saving my opinion on something. I just try not to be too overly critical sometimes. Well, that is not um, common in our world today. <laughs> you know, we need, to have, we need to have strong opinions quickly without much thought. You know, what? So, you know, I was just thinking about like youth group stuff and like how youth group is so totally different now with social mm-hmm. media. Like, I would not want to grow up. Have you seen this movie, Eighth Grade? No, I thought that would just be too much for me. It looks so... It's a lot. (laughs) It's probably easier because I don't have a child in eighth grade, but one day I will. But... I work at a school. It's a lot. I'm like, oh, could I even handle that? It, I mean, my wife and I watched it, and it was really, really powerful movie. And I think even for like me, like I, I mean, I didn't have social media until junior year of college. So it wasn't like a part of my normal upbringing at all. And so to watch this movie, you actually learn quite a bit too. Cause I'm like, yeah, I have an Instagram account, but it's not like, I mean, I don't have a lot of followers. I'm not obsessed with it. Right. But then you see like high school and, and how, you know, I remember AOL Instant Messenger <laughs> was like a big, a big thing, but that's nothing. Dial up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dial up. I guess I also wanted to ask you just, you know, just growing up in church as, um, you know, growing up as a little girl, then being a teenager, then being, you know, adult woman. What, what is that? How has being a woman or, you know, your upbringing, how has that affected your, your faith? And has there been big moments of realizations or big moments of like, man, this isn't how it should be, or I'm really glad that I'm not a guy. I don't know. I was curious about that. I didn't prepare you for that at all. Sorry. If that's been a big part of your journey. Did you read um, a lot of Rachel Held Evans work? Yes. Okay. Love her. Yeah. Was, was she an important author to you an important person to oh my you? goodness yes i mean one of the most formative books to me in my spiritual life has been a year of biblical womanhood which that's not her first book it might be her most popular book i feel like she got most attention for that just because yeah. it was kind of a funny concept honestly but that has been one of the most formative to me like the chapter on proverbs 31 is one of my favorite chapters i've actually taught that before like from her book because i thought it was so meaningful and how it really changed what that even means 
when I realized what it meant to Jewish culture, I was like, oh, this does not mean what I thought it meant. It's so much more meaningful now that I understand it, you know? So let's go, yeah, let's go with that. So what, what did that, what did you think Proverbs 31 meant, like back in the day? Well, so I had heard a lot of lessons on Proverbs 31 because I was a woman in the church. Mm-hmm. And so this is supposedly, it's taught to us as this is who you aspire to be, basically. This is the perfect woman you were supposed to become. And it's all these things that no one person can do, honestly. When you read it, you're like, but how? How does she do all of those things? That's impossible. You know, there, does she have a time turner? What is happening? How does she do it all? She can do everything. So, and it was only ever taught to women, never taught to men or children in any way. Which, you know, fine. But uh, when you actually learn what that meant to like the Jewish culture that it was written for, um, how it's written as, it's like a military poem. It reads like someone who's returning from war and actually means a woman of valor is what it means. Mm-hmm. We say virtuous woman, but the actual translation is closer to woman of valor. And there are all these like military references in it. So it's about this um, really like strong soldier type woman, which is first of all, not what I pictured ever when I was reading it. No. Um, and it was something that the men and children would memorize and then they would sing it over women in their life. Like the only instructions given in that anywhere are given to husbands or to children to like call, call this woman blessed, call this woman this. Mm-hmm. She's never commanded to do anything. Um, it's just all in praise of her and how there's a, I can't, I don't know how to say it. I still don't know how to say it. I could spell it, um, the actual phrase. Um, and they would say that all the time. Um, anytime a woman in their life had done something amazing. It didn't have to be something written in that poem. It was like, oh, you, you know, you planted the garden today and it's so beautiful. Woman of valor, you know? So it was just a way to encourage each other and say, oh, you're amazing. What you do is amazing. It wasn't a list of all of these things that you have to do to become this virtuous woman. Mm-hmm. It was like, you already are this and we're going to tell you how you're this already. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just really changed me. And my friends and I always like someone who's something great and we're like, woman of valor, we do that all the time now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. We, uh, you know, we, yeah, we kind of don't always understand what, what scripture yeah. is. And in that chapter, Rachel does an awesome job of, mm-hmm. of explaining that. Do you yes. remember other, I guess, big, um, big things that you've learned from, you know, from her? Or when you teach Proverbs 31 and, and what you, what you teach to, to, is it like a, this is bad, but is it, what were you teaching to just women? <laughs> no, I was teaching to a mixed group. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. And then at the end we split apart into groups and we would practice like telling someone what they did that was great and then calling them a woman of valor. Oh, I love that. That's good. I'm glad you were teaching to, it's really fun. to a, a mixed group as we call yeah, it. So. I know. Shocking. <laughs> Might lose followers, Andy. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be listening anyways. Uh, do you feel this need to like want to teach more in church? I know you get to do some. Um, actually, I do love teaching um, Bible. I do love doing that. I wasn't sure that I would, to mm-hmm. be honest, because I just hadn't really had the chance to do it other than teaching little kids, which is not my favorite thing in the world. I mean, I love kids, but I prefer deeper concepts um, and not having to wrangle children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, I do really love that actually. I have taught in high school before and we, I lead a small group with someone at my school. I work at a Christian school. So we lead a small group together. So I kind of get to feel that a little bit with that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, teaching doesn't have to be like this big lecture you know like you've talked about we we teach a lot by just just how we live you know you're you're an artist you're a musician you you're very involved at church still on the praise team I'm sure and Mm -hmm. and you know getting to do small groups and being a creative director like what what is God you know what is God doing next or what is God doing currently in in you have no idea what it's doing next. No yeah, clue. well, that was good. That's true. No clue. It's all a grand mystery. Yeah. Um, I actually feel like I'm kind of in this place of flux because I'm not, I mean, someone else might look at my life and see this totally differently. I have a problem with thinking I have to do so much 
Like I have to serve in so many ways. I need to be volunteering here and here and here and here, you know, um, which is good. It's fun. It's good. Um, but um, to me, it can become a little, I don't know, a little works based. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I've just kind of felt like I'm in this place of flux for, I mean, honestly, almost a year. I mean, I know I'm serving people in different ways, but um, part of that may just be a calming down. So maybe it's a good thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I've always been kind of go, 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 go. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been trying to be there for my friends. Um, I've had friends go through a lot of hard things in the past few years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a way that we sometimes forget that we're you know, living our lives um, as disciples. Uh, so that's just been kind of more of my focus, to be honest, for the past little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer to that question. That's all right. I mean, I so when you, um, you know, like you said, focusing on being a good friend, you have this time of flux. You, I do see you as a person that is constantly busy. Like I'd be like, how is she doing all this stuff? Like when it was, uh, um, you know, at, at church and at your work and, you know, being involved in other stuff we were involved in, like the, you know, the campus ministry, I know you're supportive of them and we have really good friends. Um, you know, Justin and Charlie, it was always like, where are we going out to eat after church? That always took us like 55 minutes to decide. Right. And, uh, Justin made a PDF file to show us where we could go out to lunch after church. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and going to going to movies, and so I always do see you as a person that like is constantly like, wow, she does so much. Do you think like there's a there's this moments of like God's teaching you like, okay, slow down? Is that kind of what? Yeah, and I've I've been kind of intentional about that too. Um, not over planning my weeks. Like I mean, I, I could plan something every night and just put like one night off in there and be like, okay, that's the perfect week I have planned out right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I miss like spontaneous things then. Like I love the spontaneity of someone calling up saying, Hey, I'm lonely or I'm bored. You want to come over? You want to do something? Like I want to be available more. Um, and I know that's a balance of like making things happen and being available for things to happen. Um, but I have, done that on purpose in a way just to quiet my life a little bit more and be more available whenever, whenever I need to be. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. And it's so important because it does seem like, you know, we have a lot of people that are, like you've said, like people that are lonely, people that maybe, you know, are like unavailable. Like I think we both probably have people in our life that's like, they're never available. Yeah, And um, so I, I think about people in my life who's, who have told me, you know, uh, one person I have in mind, he always told me, there's something really good about being an avail- available person. Mm-hmm. Like there is something really good about that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, have, we have ministers that do tons of stuff for churches. We have teachers that do tons of stuff for their school, you know moms and dads that are like constantly busy and like, yeah, like life is busy or the other way, like you could be single and constantly be social and you'd be busy that way. Um, but there's something about like being available. So I love that. I think that's Mm -hmm. crucial to, uh, to people really growing. That's a good balance for me because one reason I like to throw parties so much is because like, I think building community, that's just one of, I guess, you would say my calling in life to me, that's just so important. And I cannot stand that people are lonely. Like I just can't stand it. It makes me crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's one reason I like to do that so much, even though I personally love it. I just want to get people together. You Mm -hmm. know, because you never know who's going to hit it off and become friends. And they were super lonely before, you know? Uh, So there's, like I said, a deeper purpose to all of that and a deeper meaning. Yeah. Building community. Like I, that's one of the things that, you know, for, for me is, is so, I mean, that's why I miss Memphis so much is because I really spent time building a community and now I've, you know, doing my best at, at doing that here. 
in North Carolina, but I loved like the community that I, that I saw mm-hmm. in, you know, through Sycamore View, through Harding Academy, through Harding School of Theology, you know, just the, the community that I had there. So that's cool that you, that, what did you say? Like, you hate the fact that people are lonely. They're lonely. I just can't stand it. There are so many people. There's, that just doesn't have to happen. I'm like, <laughs> there are people for people. We can always get together right. and not be lonely anymore. Like, you know? Yeah. So I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Mm, that's good. That's really part good. of that is probably because I hate it when I'm lonely. So I just project that onto other people mainly. <laughs> well, Hey, at least you know that self-awareness is, is key. One of my last things that I like kind of, you know, to, to ask people is um, what brings levity to your, to your life? Like, what are the things that kind of, I mean, we've talked about some of this stuff with you, but I guess specifically, are there certain things that like bring you levity, bring you back to God, you know, help you center yourself? Yes, certainly. Every morning before I get out of bed, I have my morning mantra that I have written. It's like two pages long. I'm not going to recite it for you, but that's every morning. Two pages. It's like, well, it's because I wrote it really spaced out. Um, <laughs> front and back of like a, not quite an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. I might have it memorized now, but mornings are sometimes really hard for me. I have a problem with anxiety sometimes, especially at night. I have terrible nightmares. And I will wake up like in this state of like anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really, really getting to me. And so I decided, you know, instead of reaching for my phone or whatever, I needed to immediately refocus when I woke up um, that nothing would help me as much as that. So I wrote this big thing for me, which has been um, extremely helpful. That's one of the best things I've done in the past year, honestly. Wow. Um, just um, and I think about it all day long. Like if something enters my head, I think, no. And then I'll repeat like a line from my mantra, you know. So that's very helpful to me just to have that immediate like focus. Um, and sometimes I'll like half wake up and go through half of it and then fall asleep again. <laughs> you know, then I'll give me like, oh, I never finished that, did I? So that's very helpful. So that gives me meaning. I'm not sure. How would you had to find levity? How would you define levity? Well, just like something that is bringing balance. Like you said, okay. life can get really busy. So what, yeah. and I guess the other thing for me about levity, a lot of times for me, levity is like comedy. So that's where like, lightness. Yeah. yeah, light lightness. That's a better, yeah. Something that uh, does that for me is instead of getting on social media as much is I have the Marco Polo app. It's like a video chat app with, Oh yeah which I love because I can group chat with people and see their faces. And I don't think I realized how much I wanted to see people's faces more than just hear their voices. Like I don't like talking on the phone, don't like talking on the phone. I don't know why, but I love talking to someone like this in video chat. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that. And we just talk about what's happening in our days, you know, when we are great. And sometimes those are really deep, hard discussions we have on Marco Polo, but um, it just brings me a lot of joy to be like, Oh, look, I have a message from my friend in Texas, you know, Um, that I haven't seen in person in a while, but I see her in person all the time on Mm -hmm. my little video chat. So that's great. Um, Let me think clarity. I do. I absolutely love reading. That's one of my favorite things. It's very, um, it's a, it can, it's two things at once that seem like they are opposed to each other, I think, because it seems like it's taking you out of reality, mm-hmm. that you're forgetting about reality, but then it can inform your reality so deeply. So I love that kind of juxtaposition of those two things that you think you think you think that you're forgetting about your life at the moment, but really you're informing your life depending on what you're reading, of course. Well, <laughs> but, yeah. that's true. Yeah. So oh, that. That's really good. Where did the mantra idea to write out this mantra and read it, where did that come from? That's, I love that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I will say that before I did that, um, there's one of my favorite just basic quotes is Maya Angelou saying, what a wonderful day. I've never seen it before. I absolutely love that. I love how that's framing every day. It's something new. Like we get into this kind of like, we're just rehashing the same thing, but like, no, you have no idea what's going to happen today. You weren't promised today. It's amazing. You know, just Mm -hmm. open your eyes to what's going on. 
so that was always helpful for me, but I just wanted, um, so I was kind of doing, saying that every morning when I woke up for a long time. Um, but it was just one day I was really struggling and I wrote this whole thing out and I thought I should read this every morning and it helps so much. Wow. So it didn't, yeah, that's incredible. It just kind of like, wow, just kind of came to you if I'm going to yeah. do this. That's awesome. Um, yeah, reading is, reading is funny. I buy books, but I don't always read them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have so, a lot of books I have not read in this house right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I'm like, when I read something and like sit down, I'm like, oh, wow, that, that was really fun. I should do that more. Why don't I do that more? You know? So. Um, I know. Well, you know, I have a tip. I have a tip if you want to read more. Do you want to hear? Yeah, absolutely. This is not for me. This is from Modern Mrs. Darcy, who's amazing. If you haven't ever listened to her, she has a podcast called What Should I Read Next? And really? She's, you know, okay. Um, but she's just a major book lover and has made this her life, basically. But I love reading so much, but then sometimes I'll get to a place where I'm just not reading very much. And I think, why? That's one of my favorite things. Why wouldn't I do it? It's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, and her number one tip is to write it down. Uh, it, it can be as easy as just when you finish a book, you write down the title and when you finished it and that's it. But mm -hmm. doing that, I read so much more now. Like just having a record. Yeah. You know, in a kind of like a cool way, it's like the Netflix of accounts where it's like previously watched. Yes. Like, oh my goodness. I watched like 78 shows last week. Like what in the world? <laughs> right. But to, to have that record, there is something about having a record. Yeah. You know, like we have journals, we have, you know, like for my podcast, I look and I'm like, Oh wow. I've done like almost 50 of these things. Mm -hmm. and, and you go back and listen. It's like, Oh wow. That's cool to have a record. Um, yeah. And I don't know why that inspires you to do it more, but for some reason it does. Mm -hmm. I don't even know why, but it does. And I sometimes like will write my favorite quotes in them too. Mm -hmm. there's something I've read that I'm like, oh, I don't want to forget that. I'll write that down. So I get kind of like obsessed, my personality is. And right now, like Conan O'Brien is like my <laughs> obsession. <laughs> You've mentioned it before. This and um, Conan O'Brien said, you know, when he had all his debacle at NBC, he's talking... He had Howard Stern on his podcast this week and they were talking to each other. And he said the only thing he really cared about was having all of his material. Like he wanted to have his body of work. Mm -hmm. That was like important to him. So like I get fired from NBC, Fox doesn't want me, whatever. I just want to have my stuff. And I was like, what is that? You know, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I like that. That, that, that was important to him. What's that? I didn't know he had a podcast. Well, man, Conan should be giving money to my podcast. So, he, <laughs> um, yeah, he does. He has a, it's called Conan Needs a Friend. Oh, okay. And I love it. Mm. So I started my podcast two years before Conan. So, uh -huh. but yeah, he, you know, of course he has guests that are uber famous Right. And um, I'm not famous enough for you, Andy. Is this what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty famous on, uh, you know, in, in Memphis, in our, our Memphis group. You're pretty, I, I think you're up there. You, you know, this is my biggest moment of fame was uh, <laughs> uh, my niece had brought a friend over uh, for dinner one night to my house. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about my Wonder Woman costume because I had made this really elaborate, beautiful yes. Wonder Woman costume. Right. And we were talking about it. And I said how excited I was and that uh, the director, Patty Jenkins, had actually like retweeted a picture of my costume. And then the person who was like a stranger in a home went, wait a minute, I've seen that. You're that person? And I was like, thank you. I am like a nerd famous right now. It was amazing. That's awesome. It was amazing. That was really cool. That's my, that's my closest brush with fame I've had. It, it is funny. Like I do uh, uh, another podcast with my friend Kara and um, we uploaded a episode and it had like, you know, 15 listens or something. She's like, we're famous. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's a, like there is this like super weird idea of like wanting to be famous, no matter who right. you are. It's very strange. It's like, we all want to do it. But I actually think about like, 
this show and like how fun it is for me. Like you talked about like throwing a party. Like I will say you've thrown some of the biggest parties I've been to, you know, know? (laughs) there's a lot of people there and I'm like, this is great. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, there is something about like bringing people together that is like, like you talked about giving a gift, you know, (laughs) and I, one of the things that I really, I'm super excited. I don't know when it's going to happen, but like bringing my wife and my family to Memphis and going to Sycamore View, like that's going to be awesome. I don't know when it's going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to be, it's not going to be soon. I know that. Um, So my wife's getting ready to have a baby. So we're not going to be traveling for for a while. Um, I told you that, didn't I? Yes. Okay. Okay. Excited. This has been really fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have loved this. This has been great. Today's artwork was done by Dominique Frazier. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. The music you're listening to, Josh Cleveland. And the creator and editor and producer of the Winter Faith Podcast, yours truly, Andy Frazier. Well, you did it again. You spent your time listening to my show. You probably could have spent this time playing games or binging Game of Thrones on your phone, but instead you spent it with me, so I thank you for your time. If you haven't already, downloaded and subscribed to the Winter Faith Podcast on Anchor. They are a sponsor for me, so try to be nice to them. If you haven't already, please leave a review on iTunes with good, bad, or ugly feedback. All feedback is good, no matter what, in my opinion. Express yourself, friends. Also, please consider supporting the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. However, I do accept Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, and any other way you want to contribute to the show financially. Okay, my commercials are done. Andy, out.